Well, amen. Good morning. If you would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 25, and just as you're turning there, uh, I just want to share with you, every year, if you're a guest this morning uh, here at Southgate, or maybe um, you're new to uh, church life, or maybe uh, uh, you're just kind of seeking to know who Jesus is and what God is all about, uh, we just want to say thank you for uh, checking us out today and, and uh, coming to Southgate. We trust and, and hope that uh, your visit today will be a blessing but every year, uh, as a church, we take a month and we set aside four weeks where we talk about generosity and we talk about giving. And I know a lot of people that, um, even in the church world, where they, you know, when this topic comes up, it can be a bit uncomfortable. And, um, and sometimes when we kind of think through this topic, a lot of people say, well, you know, the church is just after your money. And I, and I just want to remind our church today, number one, when you give, you give to God first and foremost, and we do that through the local church. And I want to say that to our church today, and I just want to say thank you for your generosity and thank you for your giving. The second thing that I want to say is for those that might say, well, you know, the church is just after money. Let me just, can we just clear this up real quick today? God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need a single penny. In fact, heaven is paved with streets of gold. And so God is not at a, at a place where he is lacking, right? In fact, what we know is, is that Giving and generosity is not something that God wants from us. It's something that God wants for us. In fact, that's why we entitled the series, The Blessed Life. And in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. And I want to pick up there this morning because the Bible says, and Jesus is sharing this parable. And he's sharing this, this story of generosity. And he's sharing this story of what we would call stewardship, this story of entrustment. And he says in verse 14, he says, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went his way. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two made two talents more, but he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and, and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, and he, he bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I've made five talents more. And in verse 21, the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also who had made two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward. And he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And his master answered him. He said, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten, for to everyone who has more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Father in heaven, uh, I need you this morning because, Lord, I have no aspirations to be uh, inspiring or to give a motivational talk this morning. It's my desire, Lord, to allow the word of God to shape our hearts, our minds, and to inform us what it might look like for us to take steps in the area of generosity. God, it's my desire in, in my own life because I know that I've probably regressed in some ways in living in a way that's generous in the way that you've called me to live. And so I pray this morning in my own life, in our family, and in this church that, that we would live open-handedly with everything that you have allowed us to have in our possession. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said? Oh, come on. All of God's people said? All right, there we go. We're, we're together. Now, the blessed life. When we talk about the blessed life over the next four weeks, what we're talking about is the life of stewardship, and not just any kind of stewardship, but a life of generosity. Because I believe that if we'll ever experience blessing in our life, it'll come as we grow in the area of generosity and as we grow in the area of biblical stewardship. In fact, the most blessed people in the world are not those who have everything. And if you've ever been on a mission trip, you understand this to be true. When we go to third world countries or when we go to countries that, that live in uh, deep poverty, we recognize that, that happiness and joy and success and satisfaction is not necessarily a reflection of how much money that you have in your checking account or your 401k. In fact, we find that those who give generously and those who invest in the kingdom of God, those are the ones who have blessing, who have fullness, and who feel very enriched with the life that they've been given. The blessed life is not in gaining. We, we tend to think that. I just got to have more. I've got to get more. Um, someone, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I haven't seen it in years, but uh, someone said that, that he who dies with the most toys wins, but he still dies, right? And at the end of the day, it's not about gaining, it's about generosity, and that is the key to a blessed life. And so when we speak of the blessed life, what do we mean? What, do we, what are we actually talking about here? Because biblically speaking for the disciple, what is a life of blessing look like? And what does a life of success look like? How do we measure that according to the Word of God? And so if you're like me, you're tempted to believe that, that what is in your possession, we do this, we tend to believe that what's in our possession is ours. Like, I own this, it's mine, I paid for it, and so it belongs to me. When in reality, everything, every single thing in my possession, every penny, every dime, every nickel, it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus Christ. Even my kids, and I'm learning this lately, they're becoming young women and they're becoming adults and they're starting to make decisions, decisions that I don't necessarily care for, but these kids that God has given to me, they're not mine. They've been given to me, entrusted to me, if you will, so that I can invest in them the kingdom of God. I think about time, and we're going to talk about not just money, but next week we're going to talk about how we invest our time, how we steward our time, how we use our time for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel so that we can live a life that's actually meaningful and successful. So what does all that look like? But if you're like me, you're tempted to think that what I have in my possession belongs to me, when in reality everything in my possession was given to me by someone else, and it was given to me to steward, and that's someone is God himself. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and if you're a parent, I think you might understand this illustration. But one of the most frustrating things that I ever had to deal with as a parent is watching my kids fight over things that weren't even theirs. Are you guys with me saying that? Right? And lately, we have this thing, and I have two kids, and I'm not going to tell you which one does this, but I have, 
because I don't want to embarrass my kids, right? But I have one child that loves to bake, right? And this is what she'll do. She'll come to me and say, Dad, can we go to the store, and I want to buy baking supplies. Sure. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, a good kid. A good kid's going to say, I'm going to allow Dad to buy my baking supplies, and as a, as a house tax or a cookie tax, right? <laughs> Amen? Right? I'm going to give my dad a cookie. And so we go to the store, we buy the supplies, I hand those supplies, I entrust her with those supplies as a good steward in God's kingdom, and, and she's, she makes those cookies, she says, oh, dad, I'm making these cookies for my friends, and then I go to grab a cookie, she goes, no, those are not for you, but I bought the cookies, I know, but I'm making them for my friends, but I bought the cookies, they're mine, right, and I remember, as, I remember you know, when my kids were younger, I mean, just watching them fight and get frustrated and say, this is mine, this is mine, and, and, and we laugh at this, but at the end of the day, do we not all do this? I mean, in some form or another, we fall back into those patterns of believing that what's in our possession is actually ours. And what we do is we find our identity in our stuff, in our net worth, or in the things that we own. And that type of thinking, it always leads to a life of regret. And it's a hindrance to the actual blessing that God wants to have in your life. Now, in our text, Jesus discusses the truth of stewardship and what real blessing and success looks like for his disciples and those who live for his kingdom. And so the big idea today is this, the blessed life, the blessed life defines success differently. That's the big idea today. We want to talk about what does it look like to have success in life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it look like? How do we measure this? How do we look at it differently from the world in which we live? Because as we struggle to define success in a world of materialism, Jesus, he flips the script and he shows us the path to real success, the path to real blessing, and the path to a full life. And it begins first and foremost in understanding that the blessed life is not revealed in how much you have. The blessed life, the life given to you by God, the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is not revealed in how much you have. In fact, it's not revealed how much you have, but it's, but it's what you do with what you have. And understanding what we're supposed to do with what we have begins with our role and our resources. How do we look at those? Now, in the text, the Bible says it would be like a man going on a journey, verse 14, who called his servants. Now, another way to translate that word is actually slave. And the Greek word in that passage is doulos. And the word there, it, it, it means uh, it means slave, as I've already mentioned, and, and at the end of the day, you might just note this, all that slaves have belong to their master. And that's, that's what Jesus is kind of communicating here in this text. He says, it's like, it's like a master that went on a journey, and he gave to his servants, he gave to his slaves. So what he gave them was never theirs to begin with. Are you guys with me? Say amen. Amen? So what they've been given wasn't theirs in the first place. And so for you and me, one of the primary challenges to a blessed life is that we don't want to see ourselves as servants, and we certainly don't want to see ourselves as slaves. We want to believe. We all want to believe. We struggle with this. Trust me. I struggle with We want to believe that we have autonomy in this life, and we can live a life without God. And so in this passage, we see several principles that help us understand life isn't about how much we have. It's about what we do with what we have. And and so Jesus gives us this parable. He says, look, this is what good stewardship looks like. And he says, listen, first of all, as a servant, you've got to understand, God owns everything. I own nothing. And we see that in verse 15. To the one he gave five, to another two, to another one, to each according to ability. And then he went his way. So at the end of the day, God 
owns everything. I own nothing. All that we have comes from God. He's the creator. He's creator God. Everything that's in existence came by the word of his, uh, by the word of his power. And he has the right to say everything gets used. Everything comes from him in the first place. Paul recognized this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Man, write that down today. What do you have today that you did not receive? And you're like, well, I'm a self-made man, you know? I, 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 made it, I made it my own way, kind of like Frank Sinatra used to sing. I did it my way. Hey, man, if you're drawing breath today, you're doing so by the grace of an almighty God. I mean, are you guys with me today? Say amen. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're breathing today, you're doing so by the grace of God. If you're smart, intelligent, if you can communicate well, if you're good with numbers, if you're good with art, if you're good at teaching, if you're good at anything, you're good at it because of an almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient, benevolent God. And he gave it to us. And I think one principle to remember is that we're owners of nothing, stewards of everything. But then we see in verse 15 uh, as well that God entrusts me with everything that I have. He, everything I have is his, and then he entrusts me with it. So the master mentions in Matthew 25 that he entrusted his possessions to the servant. And the text doesn't say the master gave his possessions. That's not what the text is saying. He didn't give the, the possessions to the servant to keep for himself. He expected the servant to guard them and keep them secure. And just like the master in this text, God entrusts us with the possessions that we have to use to advance the kingdom. But then we see in verses 16 through 18 that you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, I'm responsible to increase what God has given to me. This is stewardship. This is what it means uh, that, that I've been entrusted with these things. And so I can either increase or I can diminish what God has given to me. And so like the servant, you can choose to diminish what God has given to you or you can choose to increase it. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, every single one of us will have a day of accountability. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We can either increase the resources, the gifts, the money, the time, all that God has given. We can increase it, or we can diminish it, waste it, and squander it. And then we see in verse 19, God can call me into account at any time. We don't know exactly when it's coming, but we are promised that our day of accountability is coming. Now, we don't want to talk about this. Now, if you're a follower of Christ today, what we're talking about here is it's not accountability for our sins. That's not what we're talking about. Those have been paid for on the cross but, but what Jesus is talking about here in this parable of the, the steward and the slave and the master is for our works. It's the stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.10 is so important because the Bible says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due uh, for him, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so in this text, the first thing that we see as we try to define success and we look at the blessed life is that the blessed life is not in what you have, but it's in what you do with what you have. And, and in this parable, he says, look, man, this is, this is how you as a disciple, this is how you as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how you're supposed to live open-handedly with generosity, investing what I have entrusted to you so that I can be glorified. And then we see secondly in our text today, the blessed life is not just in, in what we have, but it's this. It's in trustful pursuit. It's in trustful pursuit. God sees our faith and finances as inseparable. You might write that down today because that's lost on so many of us. God sees our faith and our finances as inseparable. 
And we're going to explain what that means here in just a moment, but the question is this, are we going to rely on him? And what's fascinating to me is oftentimes as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are, we're good about, and this is, this is fascinating to me, we can put our faith in Christ and we can believe that God, and this is a big belief, we put our faith in Christ and we believe that God is going to forgive us of our sins and one day when we die, we're going to step into eternity and be with him forever. Amen? We believe that. Say amen. But we struggle to give a dime on every dollar. Right? We struggle with that. We struggle to be generous. We, we have this, if you will, scarcity mindset. Oh, we're in a recession. Oh, inflation. Oh, man, uh, things are tight right now. We, we struggle with that. And it's fair. I get it. I understand it more than you know. But really, this comes down to, are we going to trust God with our eternity? And can we trust him, as Derek sang today in that song, Abide, with our daily bread? Can we trust him? And I want you to see in this text the unfaithful servant's estimation. He came to a place where he did not rely on God or on the master. He came to a place where he was not going to trust the master's plan. And so he made his own estimation. And in verse 25, he says in our text, he says, I was afraid. I was afraid. In fact, he goes on to say, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. In fact, in verse 24, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. First of all, I want you to see that I, I believe the text is teaching us today the unfaithful servant was a fraud. This servant was a phony. He didn't truly know the master. He said the master was a hard man. Commentators believe that he wasn't even a, a, a really a believer. That's the illustration. That's the metaphor that's being made here. The fact that he couldn't trust his master meant this. The fact that he couldn't trust the master meant that he likely did not even have a relationship with him at all. So at best, he was duplicit, and he did not trust the master's plans. He did not trust him. But then in verse 25, again, we see that he was fearful. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid. The servant used this as an excuse as to why he did not do what he was asked. Now, let me ask you this. How many of us, every year I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I teach on generosity every year. And in the first week, it's always kind of like this, whoa, he's talking about generosity. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Here's my hope today. Every single one of us would lay our hearts open before God and say, God, listen, we've got some insanely generous people in our church. Insanely generous. And we have some that struggle with this. But, but can I ask you to do this today? Just as a rabbit trail for just a moment. Pause, stop, and ask God in this moment, God, where can I grow my generosity? Where can I grow my generosity? It may not be financial. It may be in your time. It may be in your willingness to serve. It may be in some other area that I'm not even aware of, but you and the Holy Spirit are. And God wants to speak into that today. And so today, instead of it being that, that first Sunday of, of stewardship and generosity, and you're like, oh, man, here comes pastor. No, man, it's not like that. I really want every single person in this room, regardless of your age, if you're a child or if you're an adult, and if you've been doing this thing for years, I want us to grow and live open-handedly and trust God in ways that we've never trusted God before. All of God's people said? All right, so we find in this text he's fearful. Now, we struggle with this. This morning, some of you are going to say, and I get there are some of you in this room that you're in college, and you're like, man, I can barely pay my school bill, and God wants me to be generous. There's others in this room today that you're raising kids, and you're like, man, I'm just trying to put diapers on, on my kids, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know, get formula and food and different things. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to pay for all these different things. And let me just explain to you. I get this. I truly get this. 
I've got two kids that are graduating this year. They're both going to be in college next year. My wife had surgery last year, and this happens every year. Every year right before missions conference and right before we start talking about generosity, it seems like every single thing in my house just wants to break that week, right? Ellie took me to the airport the other day. She ran our car up on the curb, $1,500. I got April's hospital bills from her. I thought I had them paid off. I got hospital bills in the mail the other day from August, right? And then I got my electric bill this week. Thank God for city utilities. Can I get a witness? Amen. I Man, come on, right? I'm just saying and sharing that with you, not to feel bad for me, but I'm in this with you. I'm trusting God with you because I'm afraid. Like, where is this going to come from? How is this going to be financed? How are we going to do this? And you might be saying, man, I'm afraid. I don't know if I can be generous. I don't know if I can invest in the kingdom of God. I don't know that I can give. And God says, try me. You know what God's saying to many of us today? You think I don't know what you make? You think, you think you can't trust me? And God says, man, this could be a turning point in your relationship with me if you could learn to trust me. If you'll just, if you'll just trust me in this thing, in this generosity, in this giving. And some of you are in bondage to your finances and your situation. And God sees this situation and he wants you to have victory in this area of your life. We see also in verse 26, he was lazy. In verse 26, the master answered him. He said, you wicked and you slothful servant. Now, do you know laziness is often the byproduct of indifference? He just didn't care. He did not care. He had no passion for God and for others. Giving generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity. And your affection for God and for others unlocks the blessing to a blessed life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, the more passionate your faith, the more consistent your giving. So this morning, we've got a missionary here. And you know, as a church, we've committed almost $300,000, actually over $300,000 to missions in the last two years. Can I get an amen on that? Amen? And today, that's your cue to like, yeah, right? And today, we've got a missionary here that's like doing ministry on the campus of Missouri State University. He's sitting in there this morning in our life group meeting, and he's sharing with our, our church family like, what they're doing. Chad Burris leans back to me. He's like, what's the call to action? What do we do here? And then I'm sitting there thinking, April's like, man, this is awesome. And, and I, I don't know about you, but like, I'm getting fired up that we get the opportunity to win college students on the campus of Missouri State to Jesus Christ through this ministry. And we do that, right? Amen. And we do that because people are generous. We do that because people step out in faith. We do that because people look at the campus and they look at their neighborhood and they look at the mission field and they have compassion and they get stirred and they say, you know, someone cared about me. Someone shared their faith with me. Someone gave for me. And because of that, I now am a follower of Christ and now I'm going to live open-handedly and I'm going to pay it forward. So the more passionate your faith, the more consistent your giving. But then I want you to see the contrast. You see the unfaithful steward's estimation, but look at the faithful servant's eagerness. The Bible says that he immediately, in verse 16, he that received five talents, look at what the passage says, he went at once. He went at once. He didn't wait. He didn't pause. He didn't calculate. He just did what he was asked to do. Money wasted is one thing. Opportunity wasted is another thing altogether. The one thing we cannot gain back is time and squandered opportunity. The blessed life maximizes opportunities given by God to expand the kingdom. If you think you'll serve 
If you think you'll give one day after you get a better footing financially or you have more time, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Many years ago, I had an incredible friend at the church that I was at, in, in the ministry that I was at before. His name was John. And I remember John came to me, and every year, same thing. Missions, stewardship in March, in the spring, we talk about these things. And John, was an, an, he was a good Christian, he was a good man, and he loved his kids. He had a 13-year-old daughter, he had a 7-year-old daughter. We were in the middle of our missions conference, and I get a call. It's his sister. Pastor, you need to get to Silver Cross right now. John had a heart attack. I said, what happened? He says he was in the yard, and John's 50 years old. He was 50 years old at the time. He was in the yard working in the, in the flower bed, and we don't know exactly what happened, but someone found him in the front yard. The ambulance came, and they're trying to resuscitate him and bring him back to life as we speak. I stopped everything I was doing. I ran up to Joliet. Walked into the, I walked into the ER. Wow, man, I walked into the ER, and his sister met me in there. And I said, how is John doing? And she looked at me, and she goes, John didn't make it. Now, I want to I rewind for just a minute. And this is what John told me years ago. John said, you know, Pastor, one day when I have more money and I have more time, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to give more. That's what he told me. We're friends. We had these conversations because I was wanting to disciple him. I wanted him to experience the blessing of God in his life. I wanted the fullness of all that God had, had for him according to the word of God. So I walk into that ER waiting room, and as I'm walking in, I look over, and I said, how is John? Is he okay? He didn't make it. I go into the room. And his body is laying there on a table. His wife is over top of him just weeping, weeping. And I look at his sister. I says, has anyone told the kids? And she's like, no. So April had to walk out, and she told their two 13- and 7-year-olds, your dad just died of a heart attack. He's no longer going to be with you. Now, I say that not to be sensational. I say that not to, to be emotional or pull at your, your heartstrings in any way. But I want you to realize this, because we're going to talk about it next week. You get one life. You get one shot. And what you do with it one day, every single one of us will be held accountable for the life that we live. How we invest our time, how we invest our money, how we use the things that God has given us, how we use this one life, we get one shot out of it. And not one of us is guaranteed another day of life. James says your life is nothing more than a vapor. Solomon said that, it, uh, uh, um, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you do not know what a day brings forth. Man, you, you're, you're not guaranteed another day. You're not guaranteed another opportunity. We like to think, man, I got this. No, man, he was eager to get started. He also saw in verse 16, money is a tool to be used, not as God to worship. He learned that money was a great servant and a horrible God. He wanted to get the money to work for his master. He wanted to invest it properly and wisely. The word traded in this text, it says he went and he traded. It meant that he was the one who invested over a period of time. Another important observation about this word is the tense. It says that he traded his talent. Now, the tense of the verb suggests that it wasn't a one-time event. This was not a windfall. A lot of, I, had a guy, I, I had a guy formerly who came up to me. He says, Pastor, I'm playing the numbers. And if I win, we'll pay off the building. And some would say, man, would you take money from the lottery? You bet I would. <laughs> the devil's had it long enough. I'll put it to good use. Amen? He tra We're not talking about a windfall. It was trading over time, risking to make five. To make five and a half, to make six. The servant lived by faith in pursuit of the master's business. 
I believe we can be challenged by the faithful servant's faith. Because you know what God rewards? He's a rewarder of them that have faith in him. He's a rewarder of them. This was faith in a greater kingdom, a greater purpose than just building his own thing. And so I want to ask you today, do you have examples of your investment in the kingdom of God? And because of that, we see in the text in verse 25, he had five talents. And the master said, let me give you five more because I can trust, if I can trust you with five, I can trust you with ten. One might consider that the reason that we do not increase what we have is an issue of availability. Ah, I just don't have enough. No, nah, man. It's an issue of allegiance. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in that which is much, and one that is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Man, if God can trust you with the little that you have, he's going to trust you with a whole lot more. But then we see, too, that just ultimately he pursued the eternal. The faithful servant was not after his own thing. And that's the thing, is that God will bless you if you're about his thing, not your thing. Can I get an amen on that? Say amen. All right. Jesus didn't come to make slight alterations to our life. He's called us to live for a completely different kingdom. The most fundamental question every disciple must ask is, which kingdom is my primary pursuit? Now, you know, financial planners tell us when it comes to your money, don't think three months or three years ahead. Financial planners say think 30 years ahead. But you know what Christ does? And he's the ultimate investor. He takes it further and he says, man, don't think how your investment will be paying off in 30 years. You know what Christ says to you and me? Think about how it's going to be paying off in 30 million years. I have no issue partnering with student mobilization. I have no issue partnering with the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, Medical Missions Outreach. I have no issue partnering with Bridge of Faith. You know why? Because 30 million years from now, the investment that was made and the souls that have been redeemed because of our investment, our generosity, our sacrifice will be far greater than anything that we could buy and purchase for our own kingdom. And I want you to see lastly, and this is the part of the passage that I just think is amazing. The blessed life is culminated with the words of the master. We've got to redefine this thing called success. What is success? Retiring? Living on a beach? I mean, I think that sounds pretty swell. Amen? Maybe it doesn't to you, but it does to me. Amen? That sounds cool. But something greater than that. Something far more transcendent than just being able to retire and live well until we kick the bucket. What do you think? And this is what I want you to write this down on your notes today. What will matter five minutes after I die? What's really going to matter? Five minutes after we die, we will know exactly how we should have lived, how we should have served, and how we should have been generous. In Matthew chapter, uh, in Matthew 25, verse 23, the master says to his servant, he says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I believe that the primary reason that we struggle to be faithful and radically generous is because we do not realize how incredible and how overwhelming it's going to be when we hear and if we hear Jesus say to his servant, you and me, well done, well done, well done. I don't think we feel the weight of that. 
We don't understand how incredible it's going to be to stand before Jesus with his nail-scarred hands, his nail-scarred feet, his pierced side, his loving gaze, and to look us in the eye and look at our life because we've been faithful, because we have served, because we have sacrificed, and we have given so that others may know who he is, to hear him say, well done, well done, enter into the joy of the Lord. And for many of us, we struggle to give and we struggle with generosity because we have this scarcity mindset and our our hope is not built on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Our hope is built in our 401k and our paycheck. Our hope is built in our joy, our kingdom, our thing, our pursuits, our possessions. And we live for something else. Matthew Henry said it this way, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be faithful with all that you have. Because faithfulness is the cornerstone, the building block of a life that's blessed by God. Our only requirement as stewards, as disciples of Jesus Christ, is to be faithful. Proverbs 26 says, Every man proclaims his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. In Proverbs, the Bible talks about the guy that's like, Man, look at me. Look at what I've done. And it reminds me of that movie, Napoleon Dynamite, with Uncle Rico. And all he wants to do is talk about his high school days. Man, if Coach would have put me in. And he's sitting there talking to his nephew. And he's like, I could throw this football over that mountain, right? And I know that's lost on anyone under 40, but it's a good movie, right? But we want to talk about our accomplishments. We want to talk about how great we are and what we've done and, and what we've accomplished. But at the end of the day, God's just looking for faithful people. He's looking for faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. So many of you have been faithful givers for years. Some of you need to grow. I know this, the goal of every disciple is to hear the words, well done, good servant. No greater words, listen to me, no greater words could be spoken to a sinner turned saint than well done. No matter what, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you not to lose your perspective. The servants, the slaves, Their names are not in the passage. They're not in the parable. They were nobody serving somebody. We're not here. I want to listen. We're not here striving to be great with men. You and me, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're here striving to be great before an almighty God. That's the goal. We live and strive to be right and good and great with God. And God wants to bless your life. He wants you to enjoy the life that he has given to you. Most importantly, God wants you to find purpose and joy and generosity. The last thing God wants is for you to be like, oh, pastor, so I'm not giving. There's my 20, you know. God doesn't need that. God doesn't want that. I mean, could you imagine if I came home with my wife and I had flowers for her on Valentine's Day and say, well, it's Valentine's Day. I love you. <laughs> had to do it. Well, I might... I'm not getting any smooches that night. I'll tell you that right now. She's going to burn my eggs and probably, you know, let the cat lick them. And we don't even have a cat. It'd be the neighbor's cat, right? No, man. God wants you and me to have purpose. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to, to have this blessing. And that blessing, I guarantee you, from this text, comes from a life of generosity. When you think about it, man, God is a God of generosity. The generosity that God demonstrated far surpasses anything that you or I could ever fathom. In John 3.16, the Bible says God so loved the world that he what? He what? 
gave. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You and I stand here today, those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we stand here today right with God, forgiven our sins, guaranteed of a home in heaven, because God gave, and the cornerstone of God's character is his generosity. And we are to emulate that in our life. And for every follower of Christ this morning, he provides. Every single follower of Christ cannot only trust God with their eternity, but with every single area of their life, their money, their finances, their marriage, their kids, all of it. You can trust God. And one of the ways that we demonstrate Christ to others is through the generosity. And so we, we circle back to the big idea. The blessed life defines success differently. So when it comes to defining success in your life, where does generosity come into play? And it's my desire for me, and I'm praying about this for me. Obviously, I love you guys, and I'm praying for our church, but for me as the pastor, I'm asking God, where can I be more generous? Where can I rely on you more? Where can I put more faith in you this year and this month? What, what do I need to do? And here's the reality. Every one of us in this room today can take a step. We got some young people in this room. I got a row of them here, some over here. They're uh, uh, around the room today, over there. Thanks, Blaze. All of you guys. Some of you kids are starting to work. You need to start giving. You need to start living open-handedly with your resources. Start now, because the younger you are and the less you have, the easier it's going to be. Because the more we get, the harder it is. It's just that way. We always think, oh, when I get more, I'll give more. No, you won't. No, you won't. Young people, I want to challenge you. And the best gift that you can give to God this morning is your heart. God, I give you my heart. God, I give you my life. Some of you right now are in high school and you're about to graduate and you have no idea what God is going to do with your life, what career you're going to choose, where you're going to, all those things. Give your life to God. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room today? Say amen. Give your life to God. Young people, do that. Young parents, young families, step out in faith and trust God. Because you know why? It's easy to get caught up in the culture's definition of success and wealth. But you know the most blessed and wealthiest people are the ones that are generous. So what are the next steps for you? Imagine today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about the areas that you can grow in your generosity and faith. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want, to be, I want you to today, I'm praying, man, I know every year when I start this series, the, no one comes forward because they don't want to think like, well, you know, I, if I come forward, people are going to think I don't give and I'm stingy. That's what people think. And I know we've gone to online giving and we don't pass the plate anymore. And that used to be a thing because the, the plate would pass and people wouldn't give. And they're like, well, you know, I give online. And I wanted to give out shirts that said, I'm an online giver. So when the plate goes by, you'd be like, I'm an online giver. <laughs> right? Hey, listen, this is what I'm asking all of us to do today. Begin asking God where you need to grow in your generosity. Would you come to the altar today and just say, God, where can I be generous? It may not have anything to do with your money. It might have to do with some other areas of your life, but where can I be generous? Then begin asking God to increase your faith to give or to increase your generosity. Begin asking God about where you can serve. Begin tithing, giving to the church. Make those steps because in a few weeks, we're going to give you several areas in which for you to tangibly and tactically take those steps. We're going to do at the end of the month again another All Tide Sunday where we're going to ask you for one week's worth of salary, everybody come to church on that Sunday and give a dime on every dollar. If you've never tried it before, come that Sunday and just give a dime on every dollar, giving it to God. 
give to one of our vision projects. We're going to be sharing with you in a few weeks some of the things that, that we want to see God do here at Southgate, some, some, some capital improvements, some projects that we would like to see done that are above and beyond our budget that we think we can accomplish together as we live out the principles of generosity. Commit to tithing for 90 days. There's some of you in here today that you've never tithed before, and this is just a step for you. Commit to doing that for the next 90 days and see and watch how God blesses you. But we're going to give you tangible ways in which to do that. But throughout the whole series, we want you to know the blessed life defines success differently. So what are the steps that you can take? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I certainly know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know for a fact that I've been forgiven of my sins. I know I'm right with God, and I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you just lift your hand, and let me just see that as a way of testimony today. It's like, I know this for a certainty. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I know, I don't know that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins. I don't even know that if I were to slip out into eternity today, that heaven would be my home. I don't know any of that, but I'd like to know more. Would you lift your hand and just let me pray for you today? Is there anyone that's like that that's here today that I can just pray for you this morning? Anyone at all? Amen. Now, how many would say to me this morning, Pastor, if I'm being honest with God and honest with myself, he's speaking to me today in the area of generosity. Just right there, would you just lift your hand? There's an area in which God is speaking to me. Amen, 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 amen. Hands all over the room. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you guys just stand to your feet today? Father in heaven, this is a, a very personal subject. It's a very difficult topic because it, it goes to the core of who we are. A lot of times it goes to our identity and our self-worth. And Father, I, I come to you today and I just ask, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, convict us, and allow our minds, our hearts to be informed by the word of God. And some of us do. I struggle with this at times, just being generous. And God, I, I pray that we take steps in this area in our life as a church. And I recognize, Lord, we are a church that's filled with incredibly generous giving people. But there are some of us that do struggle with this. There are some of us that with this. There are some of us that need to take steps. There are some of us that need to continue to be faithful in this area of our life and to see the value in it and of it. And I pray, Lord, that that might be the case today as we respond to the preaching of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, many of you raised your hand today. God, man, God is speaking to me. Listen, it is a good day when God speaks to your heart. It is a good day. When God, when God through the, the preaching of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, God touches you and says, hey, obey me in this area. Trust me in this area lie on me in this area. And if God has spoken to you today, I want to invite you to come and continue worshiping Him. You can pray in your seat. You can do business with God anywhere, but there's something significant about coming down to an old-fashioned altar, bowing your knee and saying, God, I give it all to you. It is all yours. And I'm going to trust you with it. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Young people, you get one life. You get one shot. And I want to encourage all of our young people that are sitting in this room today to live open-handedly with your lives. Live open-handedly with your finances. Live open-handedly with your future. And young people, I want to challenge you this morning to come down to the altar and say, God, it's all yours. I give it to you. And I want to live my life filled with joy. I want to live my life filled with blessing. 
And God, I want to walk with you in the days ahead. And maybe, parents, you need to grab your children by the hand and walk them down to the altar. Lay your hands on them today and just over pray over them. God, protect them, empower them, give them the provision that they need to serve you and live for you in the days ahead. Would you do that today as Derek sings the first note this morning?